morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in your day, thank you for spending this time with me. Welcome to Detour Insights, where together we'll embark on a journey of self-discovery and growth. I'm your host, Angie Childers. Let's get going. Good morning, beautiful people. Okay, I have a special treat for you today, but before I get into that, I just want to say that I hope everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving. I hope that it was filled with family and friends and food and love and all the things that you were looking forward to for this holiday season. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because it doesn't involve presents. It doesn't involve obligations to have to provide those things for other people. It's just about time together. And I had a lot of time with family this past week. And unfortunately, a lot of that time with family members I haven't seen in a very long time was because we had a death in the family. And so this Thanksgiving was very different for me than it has ever been before and very different for many of my family um, and what they're experiencing this Thanksgiving is very different than any other before. And so I am very grateful for the family that I have. I am very grateful um, that I hope and I believe that this is a turning point for our family and that we're going to be able to come together more often, see each other more often, and not let it be so much time in between seeing each other. And uh, I just hope that you appreciate what you have and who you have and took the time to do that this past week. So for today, I wanted to share something with you. We talked about um, being grateful and what that looks like in different scenarios and different situations and different times in our lives. Um, we talked about all that in November. And granted, it is still technically November. It's the last day of November. But I wanted to share something with you today. Um, we're going to go ahead and switch topics. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to guest speak on a dear friend of mine's podcast, Julie Squires invited me to speak about conflict resolution, conflict avoidance, and what avoiding conflicts can create, the consequences that it can create, and the benefits to addressing those conflicts and how to address them. It was a great conversation. Um, she had it on her podcast a couple of weeks ago, Rekindling. And I did share the link a couple of weeks ago, and some of you may have already listened. And if so, that's fine. And for those that did not get a chance to listen through her podcast, today is your opportunity to do that here. So without further ado, enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome back to the podcast, dear, sweet, gorgeous, beautiful friends. It's a delightful day around here because we have a guest and... Uh, I was just talking with my guest before we started the record feature, and I thought, you know, we're going to have to, like, shut down this conversation because her and I can talk for a long time. So I want to introduce to you today a dear friend of mine, uh, someone who is extremely knowledgeable in veterinary medicine, in organization around veterinary medicine, in coaching teams in veterinary medicine, and someone who has, I have really had the pleasure of watching, put forth a dream for themselves of becoming a life coach. And I have watched her like ascend this dream. And I am so, so, so damn proud of her. So without further ado, let me welcome the wonderful, amazing Angie Childers to the podcast. Hello, Angie. Hi, I was getting so excited. I couldn't wait to meet who you were talking about. <laughs> I couldn't wait but to meet you. who you're talking about. That's great. <laughs> but when we think about how you and I met, and I want you to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, who you are, but, but that was all true. What I just said, like we met when I was working with uh, a hospital that you worked for and doing some compassion fatigue training or whatever. And then uh, you and I had some ability to work together and you had told me about this dream that you had for yourself. So like catch the whole audience up of who the heck you are, all the things that I missed and what brings us here today. 
Okay, I'll try to do that. Um, I was in vet med probably about four years when you came into my life. And like you said, you came in and did some webinars for us on um, compassion fatigue. And you spoke to me and I, I knew that um, I think looking back now, I can see how it was the beginning of a path I needed to take. And so at the time, we didn't know that a few months later, our clinic would be closing. And that last year that we were at the clinic, I actually had the opportunity to be pretty much the practice manager um, for that clinic and was able to lead that team, take us from, we, it was a, it was a pretty rough um, circumstance when I took over and we were able to go from A to B, like, and just really build a, a core team and a trust. And um, it just really kind of ignited in me that I wanted to keep doing this. So when our doors closed, I, I was devastated, of course, for the hospital closing, but I had started to find such a passion for leading this team. And now what, what was I going to do? And I kind of had had in the back of my mind, even a couple years earlier, I, I'd actually talked to a friend like two years earlier about wanting to do a podcast that people seem to think that occasionally I have something interesting to say. And so, um, and, and people come to me a lot for advice. And when I give it, they tend to come back. So I wanted to find a way to keep involving myself and interacting with teams in vet med to continue to lead, to continue to teach, to continue to coach and see people become their absolute best selves and thrive. And so in talking with you about that, you kind of pointed out to me, and I actually just told somebody this yesterday, you kind of pointed out to me, you realize you're already coaching people, just not in official capacity. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, maybe I am. <laughs> so um, I took that little detour of our clinic closing and decided that if I were to wake up another year, another five years from now, um, still looking at a dream in the distance, that that was way scarier than anything that I was going to face in the unknown of taking on that journey at that point. So I enrolled in a school. I took the courses. I did the hours and just a couple months ago, officially certified as a life coach. I am already getting to work with some really great teams in the field and having an awesome time doing it. Oh, gosh. And you're based in South Carolina, correct? Yes. And the work that you're doing, is it basically, are you going on site? Are you working virtually? What are you, what's your? It's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, I love being in person. I am very much an empath, very much love to be in the presence of a person, feel their energy, see their energy. Um, I love reading body language. And so being in person is my number one, what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And so far, the clinics that I've worked with are local. So I've been able to do that a good bit. Mm -hmm. However, with scheduling and that sort of thing, it's, it's also hard, especially when a lot of the coaching in person is done at the clinic, it's hard to pull people off the floor to do, you know, some coaching. Um, if I do group coaching, of course, it's there in person, but a lot of the one-on-one -on -one coaching I set up with them and we do it um, virtually. Mm, that is great. And one of the things that, you know, you and I had been kind of going back and forth about stuff and I was like, we must, you know, you have a podcast and we're going we're to have all of your links in the show notes and all that stuff. And, uh, and I know for you, just share a little bit about what was it like for you to get the podcast going? Scary, pretty scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, it, I kept getting great feedback um, every time I go in, it, somebody wants to talk to me about something or, you know, just wants a little advice or a little encouragement or just somebody to sit with them. I always, I guess what you'd call a little bit of stage fright, which I don't think is a bad thing. And I think it's a, it has a purpose and it really kind of helps me to be self-aware and to be in the moment with that person. But I'm always like, am I really going to be able to help them? Am I going to say something that's going to be encouraging? Is anything that I'm going to be able to do in this moment with them going to help them? And I always get great, great feedback from that. And so I wanted to find a way to share that again with even more people. And I, I do really great in conversations where I can ping pong back and forth with somebody. I've never really sat down and 
talked with myself <laughs> so much. A lot. Right. To myself. <laughs> I love that immediate feedback and that conversation. So it was very scary. I, I feel like I was going to sound like a robot. I was going to, you know, it, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but you know, I one, two, three, here I go, jumped in and it's been great. And I get people texting me and sending me messages all the time that they they really spoke to them what what was said that week and that they said I sounded very natural. And I was like, great, that's what I was shooting for. So yeah, you do sound very, I have listened to um, quite a few of your episodes and you you know, you, you sound very natural. You have really amazing insight. And that was sort of what made us want to have a conversation. And we kind of ping pong back and forth some different topics. And then you threw one over to my side of the net, if you will, that I was like, oh yes, let's talk about that. So what are we here to talk about today? We are here to talk about conflict resolution. It Mm. is one of my favorite topics whether it's because it's one I deal with quite often or not, I'm not sure, but it is one that comes up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And what is your, like, so what is happening? Are are people coming to you with conflicts that they have that are unresolved that, you know, like what's, what are you experiencing? Well, it's kind of funny. So we had, and like I said, people come up to me at all times. Um, you know, they, even before officially becoming a life coach, but now especially. And so I still work part-time um, with one of the clinics and we had an event outside of work, a team building event. And we, a couple of us got there early and one of them saw my car and she come running over and she hopped in and she's like, you're just the person I need to talk to today. And we've got this situation going on at work that I'm being asked to be a part of the conversation because it involves me, but I, I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong or that person's not going to like me and be upset with me. And how do I handle this? And I, you know, and I, I talked to her through that a little bit and she goes, I was afraid you were going to say that, but it makes me feel better that you did. <laughs> And I think sometimes people are looking for an answer that doesn't involve them having to address the conflict. And deep down, they know that's where it's going to go. And I think a lot of times people just need that reassurance and um, that encouragement that, yes, this is this is how we deal with it. And we can't always control the other person and how that's going to go. But that's kind of what happens. Like it it comes up a lot within the clinic setting, um, with coworkers. A lot of times I had one situation where one coworker was afraid to speak up to the other because they looked up to that person so much and it was the same vice versa. And I'm like, you two are so much alike. I just need to get you two to sit down and talk. And we did, and it was great. And they built on that. So it's just about getting over that hurdle of worrying about what could happen, the consequences of addressing a conflict. Yeah. Right so much projection of like our worst case scenario. And let's even step back for a second. Like, how do you even define conflict? Like, what are we really talking about? Like, what is conflict? I mean, one way I think about, you know, there are wars going on right now in the world. That's one type of conflict. Um, but in, in in a workplace situation, specifically in veterinary medicine, like what is conflict? So, I mean, it can be anything. It can be anything from, you know, a coworker that may have had a bad day before they came in and it appears that they are taking it out on other team members and the team members have a problem with that and they're not sure how to address it with that person all the way up to, you know, somebody is mishandling um, a situation at work um, with either a patient or another coworker. Um, It can even be a lot of times in in any situation, in any place of work, but a lot of times in clinics, we become friends outside of work and you can have personal conflicts that start to affect you at work. These are all the things that I've been dealing with when working with teams. So it can be anything from a misunderstanding. I mean, that's, that is so much of it. Um, Just the misunderstandings of not having clear communication with one another. Yeah, no kidding. And is it fair for me to say, here's my, my belief is that we are very conflict avoidant in veterinary medicine, like yes. extremely so. Would you agree? Yes. Why? 100% Why, what are we so afraid of? Why are we avoiding conflict? I think part of it can be that we're afraid we're going to handle it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the situations that I'm currently dealing with is trying to help the team 
Um, so you have, you know, in, in a lot of clinics, you have management where you have like the practice manager, the owner, and then you have team leaders that are a lot more on the floor, maybe a lead technician, that sort of thing. And lead technicians are not always well equipped to deal with the conflict on the floor. They get these positions because um, of their expertise and their skills in a lot of areas and a lot of times don't realize that they're missing a few tools they need for conflict resolution. So when these conflicts start to happen on the floor, they immediately take it to the, to the practice manager, to the owner, and it puts a lot more on them that really should be being handled by the team leaders. And so a lot of what I've been doing lately is helping equip those team leaders in how to start addressing those things on their own, how to become more self-dependent on being able to do that without having to always take it to the higher ups. Mm. Yeah. And what are some of the things that, you know, and I think, first of all, like emotions fuel our actions. So what are, and, and our non-action. So what are some of the emotions that you think are fueling non, non dealing with conflict? In other words, like, why are we avoiding, like avoidance would be an action, right? So what emotions are, are, are fueling avoidance? We have fear. Oh, fear. Um, yeah. <laughs> fear, definitely. And self-doubt. And mm. the you know, I'm trying to think of what emotion this falls under, but the the desire to want to be liked. Yeah. Um, and so you, you got a conflict with somebody that you have to address. Well, a lot of times we convince ourselves that it's easier to just stuff down whatever it is we're feeling in that situation. So we keep that person liking us. So they don't know we're upset with them about something that's going on. Um, and, you know, I think that... Um, there's a lot of emotions that could come into play. I think I do definitely think fear is one of the top ones, just fear all the way around of what's going to come of this conflict if I start handling it and dealing with it. Well, it's funny because my um, episode last week of my podcast is about wanting to be liked. And it came about because I was coaching one of my clients and she had this, and this is a veterinarian, and she had this situation at work that was not settling with her at all. There was some, there was conflict, moral conflict, ethical conflict. And when, as we yes. were sort of peeling back the layers, I asked, you know, why are you not just having a conversation? And, and the first thing that came out of her mouth is, you know, I, I want to be liked. Yes. I'm a locum. Yes. I, I want to be liked when I'm there. Yes. And so it's very Interesting that you hit on that. Uh, I'm wondering, do you also think that this factors in like we have a predominance of introverts in veterinary medicine? Is that mm -hmm. also part of this? Of why I we think might avoid so. conflict? I think, I think so. And I'm I'm married to a professional introvert and so <laughs> and and he he definitely deals with things internally and a lot of time introverts and it's a good quality to have it's one I, as an extrovert i had to start learning and doing better at is to think before we talk think before we speak and a lot of times you know in the beginning of our relationship the problem became he would think so long we never got back around to talking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of the issues with, I think, being an introvert is they they tend to deal with things so much internally that it's uncomfortable for them to learn how to outwardly express what they're feeling. Yeah. Well, and I want to offer that it's also the job of the extroverts to invite the introverts back into the conversation yes. to be like, hey, remember that thing we talked about last week? Because I think what happens is like, we're all of a sudden, we know I'm an introvert, right? It's like, we know that that introverts have these qualities. You're right. They want to go back and think about things, mull it over. But then, then we're expecting them to all of a sudden just jump out on stage to be like, hey, remember that thing we talked about? Right. I'd like to bring that conversation back around. And they need some invitation into that. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it, that's um, a lot of times there's been situations where I have to deal with one side of that conflict to learn to be more approachable. Um, because that's, you know, the fear from the other side is, you know, they're going to be either reprimanded or, you know, that it's, it's about teaching both sides, equipping both sides. This is never a one-sided issue. You know, conflict resolution is never a one-sided issue. So it's about dealing with both sides of that conflict. Mm -hmm. And I imagine there's so much that goes into conflict resolution about perception, right? It's like, what is everybody's story? Right. Everyone comes mm -hmm. to the table with their own story about and like and they're all different iterations of 
of the truth. <laughs> perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. It's like we're all looking through all these things through a different lens. And one of the things that you kind of mentioned already is like we are like there's so much fear. We're afraid of. Are we afraid of we're just we're afraid to disrupt some of what we would call like the the peace, the yes. harmony that we already mm-hmm. have. Right. We're afraid. Like you said that we're afraid of what could happen. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that I had to deal with in some of my own personal things that I went through that taught me a lot. And this was several years ago, um, the conflict between me and my parents, it was a huge issue. And I had the issues of fear. I had the issues of, I wanted to be liked by them. You know, I had the, um, just, just all those things that I was afraid of what was going to happen. I just, it was about keeping the peace. Mm -hmm. Um, I, think I had tried many times to have conversations that just wasn't happening on there. And so my, in my mind, I just got to the point where I don't know anything else, but to just keep the peace and keep it to myself. And that was really destroying me from the inside out. And so um, I learned how I can still have a relationship. I can still um, interact with them, but I had to set healthy boundaries. And a lot of that was when a conversation starts to head in a direction that is, going to, you know, there's different types of conflict. And this was a type of conflict that was not going to be resolved because the other side was only interested in the conflict and in creating the conflict. And that's where I just had to set some healthy boundaries to remove myself from the situation at that point. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, and it's, I was talking to someone else who was dealing with something very similar, who was basically putting up with some bad behavior from another person because they didn't know anything else to do, but to just do that to keep the peace. And I said, you have choices. You can't control their side, but you still have choices. And we can talk about that. And so that's sometimes what you can do. A lot of times if you can't resolve the conflict, because it takes both sides to do that and you can't control the other side, you still have choices. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of bring up for me this fear also, like sometimes not everyone who's listening works in a psychologically safe environment. Like there actually may be repercussions, right? For addressing something, depending upon who we are addressing, um, who we are are bringing our conflict to, who the issue may be with. with, If it's certainly someone who has more quote unquote power than us within the organization, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, definitely something that I've even dealt with. And, you know, it creating an environment where you as a leader are more feared than respected definitely will cause those that work for you to deal with those things more internally and to shut yeah. down and to not address the conflict. And and it just creates it, making it bigger and worse. Now, the other elephant in the room, if you will, is the socialization of women. You know that as a feminist coach, I'm always going to bring you back to that. I can see everybody (laughs) rolling their eyes like, here she goes again. Yeah, here I go again, because this is true. Yeah. I mean, yes, we are. You said it. Keeping the peace like that. That's a pretty gendered. I don't think dudes and and those the dudes who are listening, they're like, oh, no, I'm I mean, I don't think dudes. um rule by that that same mantra what do you think i don't think so either and i think that it's something that is ingrained in us as women from a very young age and i think that you know it it's not even something i think is consciously done anymore we're way back in you know mm-hmm. um way before our time <laughs> probably was a more conscious thing to that was your job as a woman to keep the peace to follow you know the man in the relationship and, and you're just kind of there to support. And, but it's, it's something that has carried on through generations, even on a subconscious level. And I think that as we become more self-aware, we can recognize those places, but I think you're right. I don't think that men um, or dudes, I like how you did that. <laughs> I, like, I like going that way. Dudes, how they don't really, um, it's not really something that they think about and are concerned with as much as women. Right. It's just not their main focus. They're not leading with that. And I'm not saying that that may not be part of their thought process, but they're not leading so much with that. And then there's all the ramifications. Think about like, what are all the negative connotations we have about women who all of a sudden, you know, bring something up, uh, have an issue that want, they want, you know, to, to talk about, like, that's usually not seen in a positive light. And perhaps that's changing. I hope. 
Right. And I think that it was something that you can be looked at as now you're being difficult or you know, right. you're, you're being controversial. You're the one creating you're the being conflict. so emotional. You're so yes, emotional. You're being emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I love how telling somebody to get over something works every single time. <laughs> That's right. Just calm down. Yes. That works all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think are some of the consequences? Like what's the, what's the cost to avoiding conflict? I think the cost, the one of the biggest costs um, that I I feel is the cost to ourselves. Um, how, like I said, you know, trying to keep peace was eating me alive from the inside mm-hmm. out, and it was you know destroying a part of me and changing um, that part of me. And I didn't like it. I didn't like how it made me feel. And you know, and I was talking to someone recently about how when we have something like that inside of us that's eating away at us, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in the right way. And it's not going to come out in the right places. It's going to come out at work when, when we are, you know, short tempered with a client and, or we're frustrated with a patient or a coworker. And we're we're not always going to recognize where that's coming from. And I think that is one of the biggest costs to avoiding conflict is it starts to eat away at us and we start to feel anger and we start to feel frustration. And we think it's on these little things that are happening throughout our day, but it's on that bigger issue that we're avoiding this really big thing that we're just terrified to address. Yeah. And what do you think it does to the relationship? Like here we are in a relationship we don't want to, that we have conflict with, we don't want to address it. So we're avoiding it. Does that benefit the relationship or do you think is a detriment? I think it is definitely a detriment. I think that, um, you know, I, I have a friend that I've known for, I don't know, really long time. We were 13, I think when we met and we went through probably about four or five years where we barely spoke. She is my best friend in the whole entire world. And due to um, a conflict that in, that happened and she never communicated until like two or three years after we started talking again, I think it was before she sat down and had that conversation with me about what was going on from her side of it. I had no idea. And Mm -hmm. so it completely caused us to lose like four or five years of our friendship. So, you know, it, it builds gaps. It doesn't bridge them. It builds gaps in relationships when we don't address the conflict. Mm. Yeah. That is, yeah. I mean, (laughs) just thinking about my own life, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about some, thinking about a relationship that, um, that I, you know, I need to do some work on because it's exactly as you were describing, Elsa, and I was, I saw myself in, in your description. I'm like, oh yeah, me too, sister. (laughs) Um, Well, and the other, the way you said that, like it was eating me alive, right? It's like, there's this, there's like this cognitive dissonance that happens when there's a conflict that we're not addressing because, because we feel terrible and yet we're tr- like talking ourselves out of addressing it for all the, those reasons. And yet in between there is just this level of, of um, misery, for lack yes. of a better word, that we're experiencing for not going for it, not having the conversation. And yes. on the flip side, like let's pretend you are a salesperson for conflict resolution, <laughs> Like you're, you're going around trying to sell it to people, right? It's like, what would you say? What are the benefits of conflict resolution of dealing with this type of stuff that's simmering under the surface, eating us alive? Right. I think we'll start with, um, you know, that that inner self. So it it opens the door to start healing. It opens the door, I think, for us to have that peace. Um, that regardless of what's going on in the situation, we have been able to say what's been so heavy on our heart. We've been able to express that and do it in a respectful way. And I think that in relationships, it can help to bridge gaps again. And I always stress, you can't control the other person. You can address that conflict. And unfortunately, sometimes the relationship is still, you're going to go separate ways. So you can't, the addressing a conflict doesn't always bring you to the solution you want, but I think that it always helps us find Peace. It helps us walk away knowing we said what needed to be said. We heard what needed to be heard and we addressed it. And I think that, you know, choosing that, um, making that choice, it's not about the resolution. And in this particular conversation, it's not about finding the resolution we want. 
because I think we get stuck on that. Well, I don't think it's going to end the way I want it to. That's not the point of addressing conflict. Um, We can't control always the end result. But the fact that you took the courage, you took the strength and you took the initiative to have that conversation with somebody that's important to you, whether they are a friend, a family member, a coworker. And a lot of times, and I've found this to be true in my own life, you may not see immediate results, but you've planted a seed. If that person walks away still frustrated, still angry, still hasn't resolved from their side of things, you've usually planted a seed that at some point, whether you ever see the results of that seed, you know, manifesting and growing or not, is going to make a difference in their life some some way, somehow. I, I believe that. I believe that um, whether they eventually meditating on that conversation and, and what you were saying to them and how you said it and the fact you were respectful with it. Um, one particular person that I've dealt with is used to, I don't want to say necessarily creating the conflict, but when conflict happens, they become abrasive. They become, you know, they, you know, you know, that's how they deal with conflict is become abrasive and become um, a little over empowering. And they are used to people either backing down or getting abrasive back with them. And that gives them the excuse to remove them from their life and conflict never resolved. Mm. And when I was dealing with this person and they became abrasive, my response was to continue to treat them with love and respect. I didn't back down and I didn't become abrasive with them. I gave them some space and then I came back to the situation, still treating them with love and respect. And I hope that that begins to plant a seed within them that they can start to see another way to deal with conflict. So that's, it may be something I never see in my interactions with them, but I hope that it's planted a seed. Hmm. Well, that sort of makes me think that you know, conflict resolution isn't necessarily a one and done. And I think sometimes we go into it like, okay, we build it up. I have to go and say this thing. I have to, it's eating me alive. I got to go and say this thing. And we go and we say the thing, the other person gets aggressive, abrasive, defensive, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you've been thinking about this for who knows how long they weren't prepared for this at all. Their natural biological reaction is to defend Uh themselves. They can't even really Uh hear what you're saying. Right. Like I probably most people's, and it may take them to walk away. Like you said, planting the seeds and hopefully there's hopefully does it, do you find that like in the res in the conflict resolution that you're doing, and maybe it's because you're sort of there. Tell me if I'm wrong as a, a mediator that you're able to guide that conversation. But is that true that sometimes the first time there's not a lot of forward movement? Absolutely. Um, In one of the practice managers that I was dealing with, one of her issues was she felt like whenever she would address an issue with a coworker, they weren't taking responsibility for their actions. They were becoming defensive. And I told her, you know, I tried to explain to her that doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't mean that, you know, there was a a book that I read recently and I I think something they said in the book, um, and I am not going to be able to quote it word for word, but to the, basically your immediate response is not who you are. It's after you've had time to contemplate and how you come back and then respond to that situation is more about who you are because our immediate responses are usually, you know, like you said, very defensive. And that's how these people were responding to the situation, to this practice manager of immediately thinking they had to defend themselves. And I tried to encourage her, you know, let's find a time to then come back around to this conversation with them and allow them to speak more to you about their perspective and how they felt and what they felt happened. And not so much of you addressing them, but let them just talk. And a lot of times you'll find that defense come down and you'll find that they do start to take responsibility. I, I think most people want to take responsibility, but it's like you said, their immediate reaction is to get defensive, to defend themselves or Mm. to back down and be quiet. And neither one gets them where they want to go. So, you know, like I said, it's always about working with both sides of that conversation and both sides of that conflict. I feel like I just had like such a big aha moment and like my head exploded when you said that, that people's first reaction is not who they are because, and that immediately didn't, well, you know, actually where my brain went to, my brain went to clients first. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yes. But then I brought my brain back to what you were talking about. And I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, who in their right mind just like sits down at a table and goes, please, I am open to hearing everything you think I'm doing wrong. Like no one, like, of course we're defensive, right? We're, we feel like we're being attacked and no, we're not being attacked, you know, uh, literally, but yet our nervous system is under attack and, and, and we do have to get ourselves to a feeling of safety in order to be able to actually hear what people are saying. And that may, maybe sometimes as a mediator, as the in-between, as the coach, you're able to get people into a, an emotional place of safety. And maybe like you said, they have to walk away and, and revisit yes. this conversation after their defenses have gone down and, and all of that. But yeah, I can see how, um, this can be super challenging. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I just love that you're like, I, and you're like someone who's, you know, you're like a card carrying, like, I love conflict resolution. This is like what I'm really, one one of the things I'm really good at. I'm like, yay. I'm glad there are people like you in the world, Angie. <laughs> yes, as, as a practice manager that last year at that clinic, um, that was a lot of what I dealt with, not only within our team, but with clients. And, yeah. you know, the vet med field, we have really, really great appreciative clients, but we do still have those clients that um, are a little more difficult and you have conflict with. And mm. so I would be in the back um, towards my office or in the treatment area. And I would hear um, somebody toward the front where reception and stuff was to be like, where's Angie? And I'm like, there's a client up front, isn't there? You, you guys need me. Cause they knew that for one um, I had the skills to come and deal with it in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. But I, I hate saying I thrive on dealing with conflict, but it's, it is something that comes natural to me and I, it comes natural to me now. Let me say that. So this was a process. I, you know, started out years ago um, with many conflicts I had no idea how to deal with. And I had to even do therapy and um, eventually got to do life coaching, which I actually, you know, loved participating in and learn the skills and equip myself um, with what I needed to better deal with the conflict in my life. The conflict in my life wasn't going anywhere. I had to learn how to deal with it. And when we would have training sessions with the team on trying to teach them uh, these types of things and these skills, one of them actually said, gosh, I wish my brain thought like yours did. And I told her, I said, mine didn't always think this way. And believe me, you don't want to think the way this brain thinks all the time, but that's what we're doing. We're teaching you, we're equipping you with these skills so that you can also better deal with conflict and have those resolutions. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I hear that a lot too. People tell me they don't, they, this is a very common thing that I hear is like, people say, I love the way you think. And to your point, I didn't always think like this either. I didn't know I had the ability. I didn't know that it was possible to to alter, to change, to shift the way we think about things, to offer more grace, to be more empathetic and compassionate, to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And Mm -hmm. to that point, uh, as it relates to conflict with clients, I'm just kind of curious if you have any, (laughs) for lack of a, I want to call them down and dirty tips of like conflict with clients. Like, is that something, do you, do you work with teams on that? Are you mostly working with team conflict? So I think that what I try to do when I go into a clinic is to address their um, particular needs. So if they are dealing more with inner conflict, then we definitely, that's the focus is the team conflict. But if they are seeing more conflict with um, the clients, then I try to provide that as well. So I try to base it on each clinic and what their particular needs are. But I think the biggest thing for me when I was dealing with clients is to remember that they are on one of their worst days mm-hmm. and that what they're throwing at me. And I told somebody this the other day and it kind of clicks for her. Um, what they're throwing at me, I don't have to catch. So, you know, I can, I can remind myself that it has nothing to do with me. Yes. It's being aimed at me, but it has nothing to do with me. It's got to do with they're worried about their pet. They've got, it's got to do with they're worried about, can they afford what their pet is going to need? Or they're there to say goodbye to their pet. You know, it's when you start to 
consciously take the time and you may have to step away. And that was what I was coaching this one team member to do that when you're in that room with that client and you feel yourself getting frustrated, what is something you can do? And I walked her through that. And we basically came to being able to step outside for a few minutes, take those deep breaths and remind myself that what they're throwing at me, I don't have to catch. And it doesn't even have anything to do with me. There's nothing I can do in this situation that's going to fix this for them because what they're upset about isn't anything to do with me. And that allows us to have compassion for that person. And when you and when you throw back at them, if you will, compassion and understanding, a lot of times you'll see them soften. But even if you don't, you can walk away knowing you did your part. And that's what's important. Yeah, that's that's such good advice. Um, One of the things that, you know, just to kind of jump off of what you're saying there is like, it's once you get yourself emotionally riled up, it's like, forget about it, right? So like the skill that you're teaching is like, it's sort of like, yeah, it may be aimed at me, but you don't have to catch it. Like we can, we can, gently we can switch to the slide to the left slide to the right like we don't have to catch it and when i slide to the left or to the right um that enables me to there's a dog sneezing behind me pug sneezing so cute the cutest little sound um but that allows me to stay disconnected in other words disconnected from taking it personally yes and then yes, we absolutely. can be compassionate yes and practice Absolutely. empathy with people. Yeah, when we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. So in sort of kind of bringing this all around, let's say we have somebody listening right now that's got something like they've got something that's eating them alive that they mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's very funny because everyone who has something eating them alive, they also their next thing out of their mouth is always and I know I need to do something about it. Um, what would be your your advice, your words of wisdom of, of what they should do going forward? I think my go-to is, um, without knowing specifics is to trust your gut. Like you said, most of us know what we need to do. Um, and to trust yourself enough to know that because you are consciously deciding to address this issue, but you're going to handle it respectfully. You're going to take the time to actively listen to the other side and try to be as understanding as you can from their, of their perspective. And to always remember the only person in that situation you can control is yourself and to just go into it with the um, intention that I'm going to handle this as best I can. So that when I walk away, I know everything that needed to be said was said and everything I needed to hear from them was heard. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It is really, yeah, that's beautiful. And, and I'll just follow up from like, if I were to give advice to to back up your advice, the other thing I would say is, and then take really, really freaking good care of yourself that you did something that was hard. You know, this is where self-care, like self-care, you know, come on, self-care is not about getting our nails done. People self-care is like me sitting with myself um, checking in with my emotions. Maybe I journal a little bit. Maybe I just go outside and I, and I walk around the building and I just talk to myself and say, you know what, I'm really proud of you. And and whether or not that went the way I wanted, um, is irrelevant. It's like, but I'm proud of you for doing it. I'm proud of you for stepping up and speaking, speaking what needed to be said. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, Yeah. I love that. And to that point, and also, you know, trusting yourself. Like we have a lot of difficulty trusting ourselves. Mm-hmm. We get yes. these, like we we have a, you know, our head often is is overruling our gut, if you will, or our hut, our heart and the gut, right? It's like we let the the mind sort of rule and it shouldn't be that way. Right. <laughs> it's not that is not the that is not the best master. That is not the best leader. Right. I've started implementing um like a not giving myself time to start bringing in those self doubts and the, the, uh, our brains will so quickly jump on that bandwagon of trying to talk us out of doing those things. And I got to where I will 
bring myself to that situation. And then one, two, three, just, just go with it. I've already thought it through. I've already, I already know this is what I need to do. I trusted myself when I was thinking about this and I need to trust myself in this moment and just mm. move forward with it. Mm. Oh, that's interesting that, you know, what that brought up for me is sort of like, is, are you re- kind of recommending that maybe it's also helpful to do a little visualization of us doing the thing or like imagining that we've done it right because our our body doesn't know the difference when we're imagining doing something and really doing it so we can sort of put ourselves into that state a little bit right exactly and I think you know I don't want to for the overthinkers out there I don't want (laughs) I don't want you to to get yourself into that cycle where you overthink something but I will absolutely when I know I've got to have a difficult conversation with somebody I've already had it five times with myself before I sit down (laughs) to have it with you so That's fantastic. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's like there's a little bit of practice, right? And it's sort yes. of like, how many other things do we, you know, we can look at a lot of things that um, I even remember, like when I first learned how to um, pull blood, I remember sort of like simulating like the the needle going into the vein before I actually did it. Like this was like the first time or whatever, right? Yes. Where it's like, and maybe veterinarians sort of do that a little bit with surgery sometimes, like in the beginning, I don't know, but we mm-hmm. practice lots of things yes. um, beforehand. So why wouldn't we practice a skill like this that does bring up a lot of fear and discomfort and all the stuff? Yes. And that's yeah. a, some of what we do um, or some of what I do with the with the teams when I go in. Like I said, I do group activities as well. And so I will give them made up scenarios. Um, I don't ever as a group deal with the actual conflicts they're having within the, mm-hmm. the clinic, but we'll do made up scenarios and give them the opportunity to actually go back and forth in those difficult conversations and get comfortable having those conversations. And I think that's a lot of, um, because whenever we practice something and we see we can do it, it builds on that confidence and it, it gets us to to do it again. And we, we work on muscle memory, even when we're doing something like conflict resolution. So when we've had an opportunity to practice it, then it builds on that muscle memory. And I had a great um, training tech and she put together when we were at the other clinic, she had put together some scenarios where we went through it with dealing with difficult clients and she had her husband be an irate client and it was the most hilarious thing, but (laughs) it really worked. And I would see team members take what we did on this day and the following weekend implement it because they got a chance to practice it and felt confident in doing so. So it really works to practice. That's so good. That's so good. I cannot tell you how freaking proud I am of you that you set out to do something that is not easy. There's a lot of, you know, being an entrepreneur sounds like it's great. It will bring up every single one of your fears and insecurities. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you have persevered and you are going for it and you are still dealing with all the, you know, the, 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 the doubts or whatever that come up and you're still going for it. And I'm just so freaking proud of you and tell the listeners how they can bring you to their clinic and you can work with their teams. How do they get a hold of you? So you can absolutely get a hold of me through my website, enlighteneddetour.com. There is actually, uh, I think my email address is on there along with an actual form of communication that you can use either one of those. You can also email me directly at um, enlightened detour at outlook.com. Yes. So absolutely email me. Um, my work or business phone number is on my website as well. If you want to text or call. Um, and like I said, I am in South Carolina and I do love working in person, but I absolutely also can work with clinics that are outside of my local area. We can absolutely do this, um, digitally. I'm going to start having webinars that are going to be available um, this next year. And so I have programs that you could be a part of that allow you so many hours every month um, of one-on-one and group coaching and access to these webinars. So a lot of exciting new things coming in 2024. And I just can't wait. Oh, that was so wonderful. And please plug your podcast as well. It's also called Enlightened Detour. It's actually called Detour Insights. Oh, that's right. Okay. You screwed me I up wanted to try this. to kind yeah. of make a distinction between yeah. the two, but yeah. still, you know, linked. And it is Detour Insights. Um, there is a link on the my website that you can listen to it. And it's also on Spotify. 
You're the best, Angie. Absolutely the best. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, friends, I hope that you enjoyed the episode today. I do acknowledge that it is the longest episode to date, so I appreciate you hanging in there and really taking in the information. I think it's really great information, um, regardless of whether you are in an organization where you are dealing with a lot of conflict or just in your personal everyday life. And I hope that you were able to get something from today's episode. I do want to talk just a little bit about my very dear friend, Julie. Um, who was in, it was her uh, podcast episode where we first spoke about this. And I have gotten to know Julie over the last um, couple years, and I absolutely adore her. And the work that she does in the vet med community is absolutely amazing. A couple times a year, she puts on uh, a program for women veterinarians in the field. And I absolutely encourage you to check that out if you are a woman veterinarian in the field. It is an amazing, amazing program. You hear nothing but great things coming out about that program. Um, I also want to encourage you. So yes, as a life coach, and I deal mainly with people in vet med, I do have clients that are dealing with compassion fatigue, and I do coach them through some of that. However, when I go into a clinic and I come in to specifically evaluate or to specifically bring specific topics to them, I tend to lean more towards leadership management, team building, that sort of thing. And then one-on-one, I can sometimes deal with some clients through that program that are dealing with a variety of things, and compassion fatigue is one of them. However, Julie, that is her specialty. That is where she thrives in dealing and talking about compassion fatigue. So if you are someone who is experiencing compassion fatigue, I highly recommend you check out her website, check out her podcast episodes, Rekindling uh, on Spotify, and reach out to her if you feel that you need more help dealing with your compassion fatigue, or if you are a veterinary clinic that is dealing with an overall um, issue of compassion fatigue and would like to talk to her about what it would look like for her to provide support for your clinic. I highly recommend you reach out to her. She is absolutely amazing. And as always, if you need me, I'll be right here. 